0: This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Radiotherapy on 3RRR. You are with myself, Dr Autonomy, Miss Medic and Rainbow Doc for our special Mother's Day edition. We have our all-female, all-mum, panel today. It's going to be a special one. We are going to broaden the discussion about Mother's Day out a bit today though because I think every year Mother's Day is not always a purely happy day for everyone. It's actually a really difficult day for a lot of people. And so today we're going to talk a little bit uh, about the changing definitions and the different definitions of motherhood and why that can cause distress for so many people in our society and why today can be a difficult day for a lot of people. So we're going to really think broadly today. As well as that though we're going to talk about something you might have heard about called the first thousand days of life. There's been a lot popping up particularly on social media about this concept and how vitally important the first thousand days of life are but we are lucky today to have our in-house GP Miss Medic who has done a bit of research to find out if there is actually any evidence for this concept and and what the important bits for us to know are. So whether you're a mother or not go grab a cup of coffee and settle in to join us for the next hour as we fill it in until 11 o'clock. Doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. No pills
1: gonna
0: cure my Ill. I got a bad case of loving you. Hello, hello. Good morning, this beautiful all-female, all-mum panel. Miss Medic, hello.
1: Hello, Dr Autonomy, how are you? Happy Mother's Day.
0: Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Thank you. How did your morning start today? Uh, it,
1: it was very beautiful, actually. I'm a very lucky mum. I had uh, my gorgeous two little ones run into my room to present me with two portraits that they'd each done of me. Um, I'd love to see them. I, look, they are they are amazing. <laughs> and it's, it, it's always nice to see what features your your children really want to bring out <laughs> my my son's done you know lots of lots of eyelashes and oh. uh and tried to recreate uh, one of my favorite dresses it's all very cute and um but i um, i was chuffed very emotional
0: oh very emotional
1: mama not just because it was ridiculously early but just because it was so beautiful
0: <laughs> <laughs> and rainbow doc great to have you back in the studio happy mother's day thank you it's lovely to be here happy mother's day um Miss Medic, Doctor Autonomy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Uh, I got to sleep in until 7.30 this morning, which is unheard of. So that is all I need. (laughs) (laughs) I'm at the other end of this, you know. I
2: discovered a few years ago that if I wanted in our house, it's very much no presents for Mother's Day. We're not doing that stuff. But all I would like is breakfast in bed. Mm. And as the years have uh, progressed... I can't stay in bed long enough (laughs) to get that breakfast. I I wake up and I, I lie there because they're keen to give me breakfast in bed. But they're not up. I lie there and I lie there. I get up. I make myself quietly so they don't know, so I'm not spoiling the surprise. Breakfast in bed. Make myself a cup of tea. Go back to bed and wait and wait. And it's got to the point. where well, I don't wait anymore. I don't
1: expect you could it. probably still get home after the show and sneak back into bed, and then your breakfast in bed will come. Yeah, I, think, I think we've given 11:30? up. Eleven you know? <laughs> thirty. I
2: just—it was me that poked
0: my head in the door and said, "I'm off." Oh. You know, and there was a
2: sort of happy mother's
1: day from under the covers wow
0: such a different phase isn't it it is whereas
1: i've already been to my daughter's soccer game this morning after the um you know mother's day celebrations at home and um just look around and you see all these mums rugged up on the soccer pitch cheering their kids
0: on and it's just you know one of the beautiful things about being a mum it is indeed (sighs) When we were chatting just before the show, Rainbow Doc, we were talking about, uh, you know, those motherhood stories that just stick in your mind over the years. Um, And you said one came to mind pretty easily for you.
2: Yeah, I have this image of myself sitting on the floor. My partner at the time was away and we got food poisoning. And so I had, at that point, I had a three-year-old I think three, maybe just three, and certainly a babe still in arms. And I had vomit all over the place. And I had to... I remember sitting there. I had this. The two kids had it. Sitting there by myself in a house and ringing up a friend because I don't have family close by, (laughs) ringing up a friend and saying... Can you come help? It was the it was the moment where I thought this is what motherhood is all about and this is why we need a mother's day. This is why we need acknowledgement for doing those things. And so Sally, if you're listening, thank you very much for coming round and putting one child to bed and cleaning up my kid's vomit. I mean that that's dedicated friend when they clean up your child's vomit.
0: That is a s- special friend, isn't it? I was just thinking about who you chose to call in that moment. You know, mm. it's it's pretty telling the person that you feel you can pick up the phone and call in mm. that moment. Mm. So
1: and this is why it takes a village, right? It's not just we can't do it by ourselves. We need we need to have those other people that are willing to step in and give us a hand because, you know, you describe that, that's a, like a horrific scene and I think <laughs> that probably has sent shudders down the spines of many a mum out there. Like when the household gets gastro... Oh, you just basically want to, you know, get on a plane and leave. It's just <laughs> dire. So, that you know, it, having friends and having other people that can step in, that are trusted, that are willing to help and pick up the pieces is so important because mm-hmm. it can. there are moments when it can be really tough.
0: Absolutely. It would be
1: good if there were more villages. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if anything, I think that's... Um, one thing that we really wanted to bring up today in the show about that mothering is not just done by mothers, it's done by the various people in our lives that step in and help love and raise and care for our children and that's teachers and kindergarten teachers and childcare workers and grandparents and aunts and cousins and friends and neighbours and all those people that we, we really do need to help raise our children.
0: You can't do it alone.
1: You cannot do it alone. It is not fun alone.
0: So, before we move on to our two major topics for today, which are firstly um, the different definitions of motherhood and why the concept can cause such distress uh, and also the first thousand days of life, I wanted to start today as we always start with a bit of catch-up about uh, what's been in the news in the last week. But, do you know, as I was... Uh, scanning the newspapers and the websites in light of uh, a news story for the week, I had the same reaction that I always have when I scan the news, which is just depression, (laughs) Uh, flatness, feeling overwhelmed by the state of the world often. And I thought, I'm going to do something a bit different in light of Mother's Day today. So, as you know, it's Mindful in May. We talked about this about a month ago, uh, this concept of meditation practice and mindfulness, and it is Mindful in May at the moment. And would you believe I'm doing Mindful in May because my mother, my beautiful mother, bought it for me as a gift. It's $49, I think, to sign up for the month. Um, And I was umming and ahhing about doing it and I thought, oh, do I want, you know, is that what I need to spend 50 bucks on? And and my mum said, I'm doing it and it's amazing and I want you to do it too. So here, I'm going to buy you this subscription. As a gift, and so we're doing it together, my mum and I, which is a beautiful thing. And today's mindful meditation is all about self-compassion. And so, rather than giving you a bit of news this morning, I thought I would give you just a, a four-minute rundown on what self-compassion is, because I think mothers and everyone else in the human race could do with a bit of self-compassion. Um, it's an incredibly useful skill set to have in your back pocket, and. When I talk about self-compassion with clients, I always give it a bit of a an intro that's something along the lines of when you first hear about this, it's going to sound a bit lame <laughs> and you might have a bit of a reaction of, oh, is this, you know, is this really going to help? Is this really going to make a difference? But inevitably, when we give it a go in session and we have a sense of what it actually feels like to give yourself the same kindness that you give to the other people in your life... It's often quite profound for people and um, it often quite emotional as well. So there is loads that you can find out about self-compassion, which I will, I'll give you some sort of names and websites after this. But I wanted to just give you a bit of a rundown on the three key components of what self-compassion is. Step one is just to stop in that moment of stress, of suffering, of toughness, to stop and just acknowledge this is a moment of suffering. You know, this is a tough time. This is a moment of stress, whether it's, um, you know, (laughs) being woken up in the middle of the night, whether it's um, something that is profoundly um, emotionally stressful in your life, you know, grief and loss and It can be small stress. It can be, you know, bang you over the head stress. But just stopping and saying, yep, this is a moment of suffering. This is tough, using whatever words feel like they resonate for you um, and that's what this is and stopping and acknowledging that. Step two is to acknowledge that this is a part of the human condition. So I think when we are in these moments of stress and tough bits, They can feel quite isolating a lot of the time and in that moment where we go, yeah, yeah, this is suffering, this is stress, if we can also find that broader awareness of if we're alive then we're going to have suffering and we're going to have stress and this is what it means to be part of... The human race and to be a human being and in this moment that I'm suffering and I'm finding things really difficult so are thousands of people all around the world and so have millions of people all around the world felt exactly what I'm feeling in this moment it can help us to feel just a little bit more connected and a bit less alone And the third step is, as you would probably imagine, some self-kindness and some self-compassion, losing that criticism and that judge that is so often present in these moments. And to actually speak to ourselves, either out loud or just in our mind, in the same vein as we would speak to a close friend or um, companion who was going through a tough time and to use that same kindness that we would show them if they were going through the same time that we find it often so difficult to turn around and show ourselves so just to summarize step one we stop and we go yep this is a moment of suffering and this is hard step two we acknowledge that we're a human being and that every other human being who is alive has these similar moments of suffering and that we're part of the human race, there's no escape. Um, But it also means that we're not alone in this. And third, it's to just give ourselves a bit of self-kindness and self-compassion in that moment um, and to show ourselves that same love and care that we would show the people in our lives who we love and care for. If you want to know more, two people that I would recommend are Dr. Kristen Neff and Dr. Chris Germer. Germer. Um, We'll put the websites up on our Facebook page. There is a huge range of free resources available. There are self-compassion meditations that you can listen to for free. There's resources and exercises that you can do. There's TED Talks. Um, So check it out if you're interested. Um, it's, it can be quite profound and quite life-changing. Dr. Autonomy, I thought you were going to take us through a meditation. <laughs> I did think that I <laughs> was too. All ready to sit back and <laughs> the gift of mindfulness meditation. We've done it before on air actually, yeah, yeah. but uh, after checking out these websites, I decided these other people are much more skilled at doing it than I would be. Yeah. Uh, Rainbow Doc, can I ask, do you talk about self-compassion and um, self-kindness in your practice regularly? Um, it's certainly something that I talk
2: a lot about outside my practice. Mm. So, in a sense, that would be, you know, a base from, from which I operate in, mm. in a sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I certainly talk about acceptance of of the moment um, and seeing the moment as one moment and not knowing what the next moment is. Mm. I talk a lot about anxiety. <coughs> in various ways mm. and if we're present and we're in the moment then we're not in the anxious space we can't be you know anxiety is the future <laughs> um present the the present moment if you're in the present moment you can't be anxious it's impossible mm. i like it so i talk about it in that context
1: yeah for sure miss medic definitely talk about this a lot and I, the first um the patient that comes to mind straight away or the type of patient is the worried mum, the mum that feels like they're falling short. Um, Not doing enough. Not doing enough, not getting it right, breastfeeding's not working, can't get the baby to sleep. You know, this sort of feeling like that they're not quite f- reaching this ideal that they had about how they would be as mum, particularly new mums that have come from being very successful in life. It's very hard to then realise that you can't just make this stuff work <laughs> the way you can, you know, study harder or get that promotion. It's it's kind of out of your hands. So I talk a lot about giving yourself a break, showing some kindness. How would you speak to your friend that was having the same struggles? How would you speak to your child when they too are facing these struggles in the future mm. and thinking about more directing that towards ourselves? But I think it's something that we, we're not very good at. We're not very good at um, automatically realising that, um, that we too are deserving of the same
0: kindness as we give others. I love that phrase, giving yourself a break. I think that just <laughs> nails what this whole concept is about. Yeah, in the same way you would someone else. Absolutely. And
2: being aware of the, that inner critic that yeah. sits on our shoulders, and, and how unhelpful that inner critic is—really mm. well, so, unhelpful. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes you know it's there for a reason. Sometimes mm. we need um, we need that critic. Perhaps is the wrong word, but we need that. Thing on the shoulder that keeps us safe. I mean, that's what it's there for. That's what it was there. That's where it's come from. Mm. It's come from someone somewhere wanting to keep you safe, whether it's helpful or not at the time, and whether it's helpful in the future. It's not helpful, you know, as it stays there and kind of eats away at us. No, Mm. not helpful. But it's it's there, you know. It's 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 protective by nature. Initially, it
1: was protective. Mm. There. But can become maladaptive, which will lead directly into the first 1,000 Day of Life talk that I'll do (laughs) later. Ah,
0: Interesting, interesting. We have got our special Mother's Day show today. Uh, Three mums, three health professionals in the studio. And Rainbow Doc, we were chatting before the show about Mother's Day and we were sort of coming to the conclusion that we suspect Mother's Day is actually harder for more people than it's joyful or easy for, if that makes sense. And I I thought we should speak to that today.
2: I think so. I mean, I feel phenomenally privileged to have two healthy children and two stepchildren and a mother who I communicate with. She's on the other side of the world, but nevertheless, she's still around and we're still in communication. And in that way, for that, I feel extremely privileged um, but for a lot of people, you know, there are people that wanted to be mothers that aren't mothers. There are people that don't have contact with their mothers. There are people that are estranged from their families. Um, and I think it's important to talk a little bit about the definition of actually what a mother is, you know, there's the, the, the birthing mother, but also there's the, the act of mothering and, uh, anyone can mother. You know, it's not confined to gender. I actually struggled, uh, Doctor Autonomy, when you suggested that we would just have mothers in here. I actually struggle struggle with that concept with the word mother because it is it is defined by if you look in the dictionary of being female. And I think we've moved beyond that. That there are many people that take the role of mothering people of diverse genders. Um, people from different cultures where mothering is done in a different way where there is the village where there are numerous mothers and I think it's important to not acknowledge all those people and the term parent, loved one however we want to um, define it is broader and, and covers more people but within that yeah to acknowledge all those people for whom it is a difficult day Um, and certainly within the LGBTI community, there are many people that are estranged from their families. And so today is a struggle. It's a really hard struggle. Um, There are people in migrant communities, people that have come here, um, you know, refugees, asylum seekers that um, have had to perhaps leave a mother or may not know where their mother is, have had to do that, you know, for survival. And that's a very painful concept that we are celebrating this day that brings up so much pain for people. Mm. And I think it's the same with any day that's connected with family, you know, that we have to remember, you know, what is family? What is this definition? How do we define family? And what that means when we are celebrating as a as a nation because you know today is Mother's Day here in Australia it is in many countries but Mother's Day is a different day in lots of different you know in other mm. places um, I think it's 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 really important to acknowledge that privilege that um, we have as we sit here you mm. know as mothers talking about our great kids that have done really nice things for us on Mother's Day and that they are there, and we are there, and uh, and this is this is a concept that we have. The other part of it, of course, is that I get really angry when I see the commercialisation of Mother's Day, when I see the perfumes and. Um, uh, what else do they mark? You know all the Chocolates, stuff? Chocolates, flowers, yeah, 90s, things, dressing gowns. Yeah, I mean, give me a drill, please. That's what. <laughs> 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 Don't give me a drill. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, you
2: know, where is the diversity yeah. in yeah. this? We are kind of being Don't boxed. Don't give me
1: slippers either. <laughs>
2: yeah, we are being boxed into something and I... Um, years ago discovered an old uh, English writing school book of mine and in this I had written about my family and I had written My Mother Irons. That's what my mother did, you know. I had a 1950s mum and that as a child was how I saw her mm. and I just thought I do not want to be that kind of a parent, you know. Mm. Um but some people, some people have, in some cultures, there is very much, we were talking about this while that track was on um, Miss Medic, That there are some cultures where that kind of definition and that sort of um, narrow sense of motherhood is, is, is within the culture and that's okay, you know, but not for me, please. And I'd like that. To be acknowledged, and I'd like to acknowledge all those people out there who are struggling with today, and send you some some loving kindness and <laughs> be compassionate towards you. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think. That's a thing. I think a lot of us feel the commercialisation of Mother's Day, as many sort of event days throughout the year, can be you know quite distasteful and take away from the true sentiment of it. But I guess we can, we do have an opportunity to open up, utilise this day to make make some to gain some ground in the way that we talk about mothering, um, and the way we talk about nurturing, and the way we sort of see. Um, what that, how important that whoever's doing it, if, as long as someone's doing it, this mm. stuff is still really important. Yeah. Um, and I guess we can just, we can use it. And I guess that's what we wanted to do with the show is take the opportunity to talk about mothering um, and acknowledge the experience of, of mothering within our community, um, whoever's doing it.
0: Yeah, it does seem like we need a new word, you know, a sort of a a parent's day or a raising children day or something. I I take your point, Rainbow Doc, that even the language that we're using, Mother's Day and Father's Day, it's so narrow, isn't it? And the job of raising children in our community is a bloody hard one, you Mm. know, hardest thing I've ever done in my life, actually. It is relentless, exhausting work. It's also you know, it's such a privilege and the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to me. But it's bloody hard and it takes a village and to acknowledge all of those people in our community who step in, you know, and and put a hand up and say, Hey, here's a yeah, here's a meal or here's an hour of my time or here's whatever. Um, we do need a way of acknowledging everyone in a way that Mother's Day doesn't actually quite do in the way we tend to celebrate it.
2: Well, we yeah. have, you know, Father's Day, I'm sure there are fathers that feel exactly the same thing when Father's Day comes around, that we have separated these these two roles uh, in that way. And, yeah, uh, it'll be really interesting to see whether that does evolve and whether we do arrive at a place where we have a day and we call it Family Day. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm, yeah, it would make a lot more sense, or nurturing, nurturing day. nurturing day. I was just thinking, like, why why we, you know, the the truth of the matter is, if we get down to the nuts of it, and I can't I keep bringing it back to my own topic, which sounds very self absorbed, but I am going to be talking about <laughs> give yourself the a first break thousand days <laughs> later. Um, but the role, and and as psychologists, I am sure this is something that sort of sits, you know, rings very true to you. It's that that primary caregiver that that first attachment that takes place, which is often the mother, it's not always, but it often is the mother and child, is crucial, is it not? Mm. In, in terms of how we walk through the world from there on in, seeing our place in the world, who we are, our ability to communicate, our ability to understand the our environment, our ability to form attachment, to maintain relationships. So, I mean, this is what if you sort of boiled it all down to what a, a mother's role is, or what a nurturer's role is, it's that primary attachment
0: which is a huge job isn't yeah. it you know it's and hugely con- important
1: yeah with and so you know each of us sitting here um has had a primary carer who has helped form that for us and that is also you know part of what we obviously celebrate today as well yeah. that's job well done all that time and nurturing and effort there
2: is a concept of i talk about this quite a lot with uh you know in the uh in the therapy room the concept of good enough parenting mm-hmm. and um i heard the other day that apparently 70 percent of people have really healthy secure attachments yeah attachment style attachment with their parents which means that and I was quite surprised yeah, because surprised you know, <laughs> when you work in mental health, you kind of have a warped, world, a warped view of the world that everyone is really. Um, to watch my language here, but um, everyone is struggling in a in a really extreme way and has got an awful lot of stuff going on. Um, so it was kind of nice to 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 hear that that seventy percent of people actually have had that nurturing and that attachment form, which is healthy yeah, and that yeah. holds
0: them through life. 70% of families are doing a good enough job. Hmm. Mm. We are talking about parenting, nurturing families on uh, today, which is Mother's Day. Uh, and we're talking about the, the changing definitions of motherhood and why Mother's Day can actually cause distress for a lot of people. Rainbow Doc, you were just wondering uh, while we were listening to those announcements about the, the difference that there sometimes can be between what we imagine motherhood will be or parenting will be compared to what it actually is. Is <laughs> and you know immediately that sparked a whole series of reflections in my mind about what I imagined parenting would be you know from one of the most obvious sort of assumptions about breastfeeding would just come easily and naturally and I would have you know a babe at the breast easily which wasn't the case but you know to all the other aspects of mother- mothering and I think the the enduring. Uh, image that I had in my mind before I became a mum was, you know, me with a babe in one of those, um, I don't know what they're called, hugabub, you know, Sling wrapped up things. yeah, you know, just the babe with me all the time, you know, either on my chest or on my back and and just kind of coming along with me as I continued to do life. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, and that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hilarious. So you're just doing, you know, going out for coffee and baby happened to be there in the garden. Baby happened to be there. Yeah, exactly. Actually, Asleep can you mostly.
2: see the, the baby's the
1: babies on yeah. Doctor Autonomy's back right now? Just <laughs> hiding. So quiet. And just makes me laugh because you and
0: I could barely get through a phone conversation without your son coming on <gasps> and just hijacking the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Oh, I know. <laughs> and there are moments of of great laughter about that stuff. I think when you when you realise how different it is. Um, my sister was was talking about this. Um, A couple of days ago, actually, she she posted something on social media. She's um, overseas and she was talking about she thought she would be a certain kind of mother, but in the reality, you know, she had been solo parenting for the last couple of days and she'd ended up yelling at her kids and being short-tempered and I think they'd had, you know, cheese on toast for dinner one night and she constantly was missing doctor's appointments and running late for things and part of the time she couldn't even be at these things because she was trying to work and bring some money. You know, and this went on and on about um, the reality of, of the sort of person that she was as a mother versus what she imagined it would be and it came back to that concept of self-kindness and self-compassion and giving yourself a break and noticing the moments where actually it does all come together when maybe you're I don't know sitting on a back step watching a snail but in that lovely moment of of calm and peace you you have the presence to notice yeah the great privilege and joys that that come with it as well. We have a strong
1: negativity bias, don't we, where we will pick up on every area that we think that we are not getting quite right (laughs) and don't tend to see all the things that we... So even the fact that she's aware of where you know, she's lost her temper and those sorts of things, like that's already a win. Like that's already <laughs> doing, that's self-reflection. It's sort of acknowledging that sometimes we lose our temper. Um, maybe we didn't handle that the best possible way. How could we do it differently next time? I mean, that's mm. that's as much as we could all. And this is what I talk to other mums about. Like that's all we can ask for really, mm. yeah.
2: I think before I had kids, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea and I think it was because I lived in a world of people that didn't have children. Mm. So I I really had I'd held a baby once. Wow. <laughs> um before I had my own and sometimes I think I need to apologize for my firstborn that <laughs> you know I had to <laughs> had to learn that through through holding through holding him. Um yeah, so I really didn't know. It was uh, I mean I still have that uh uh, vision of my child being—it was a—it was a Caesar because he didn't turn round. It was a—it was a um, what's it Breach. called? It? Elective. Elective. Breach. Breach yeah, yeah. all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Anyhow, and I still have that vision of seeing this
1: creature <laughs> sort of pulled out of your abdomen. Yeah, lovely. Uh, and it
2: happened <laughs> so fast. I described it as you know, it was like getting a pizza delivered. <laughs> Um, mm. there, there was this attempt <laughs> to try and turn the baby in, you know, from the outside so that it could be birthed. And BCB. Yeah, okay. And <laughs> um, it didn't work and it felt really invasive. And I was asked, well, this needs to be a Caesar. Do you want it now uh, or do you want it next week? And I said, well, we, I'm here and I've got a bag. I <laughs> might as well do it now and the doctor said well you'll have your baby in half an hour which is what you get you know when you go on uber eats you get
1: (laughs) (laughs) you can't get a baby though Don't try and to. it.
2: So there was this, yeah, I have that vision. And it was so surreal because mm. I had no... Con- I mean, most people that have babies have not seen a baby being born mm. unless they've seen it on, on a screen somewhere. They haven't seen that. So that moment is, I don't know, do you have that memory?
0: I have a very similar memory, actually, with, a, yeah, an emergency Caesar. And I think it speaks to just from the very beginning. I mean, you can go back to pregnancy, can't you? It is... It's so out of your control, and you—it's—it's it's whatever happens, and you have to go with the flow. And it's—it's it's often so different from how you imagined it would be. And but I had exactly the same reaction with with a Caesar that, oh my god, here he is! Like he's—he's—he's he's, he's here right now, just like that. <laughs> yeah, hmm.
1: I had obviously i i had seen a lot of births and I'd done some obstet- obstetrics before I had my own children, and um I I had a sort of a different reaction. I had to normal births and both times because I had done obstetrics and paediatrics training, um, I, I had seen where things go wrong in births and babies that need lots of resuscitation and work on them when they come out because they were the ones that I would be called into as the doctor. Um, but then my babies were born and put straight on my chest and I, I couldn't believe that I would be that lucky to be the mum where they were out and in good nick and you know, I just got to hold them. I kept saying like, does someone want to check this baby? Does someone want to examine this baby? And they're like, no, no, that baby's fine. You just give it a cuddle. And um, I remember just it was so much, I felt so lucky that it had, had gone so straightforward in in my case, mm. um, having had the warped view of seeing when things are not so straightforward. Mm. But in terms of what was I expecting before I had mum, I just remember that I, I always wanted to be a mum like, as I was that really maternal little girl with the dolls and, um, you know, cooing over any baby I saw. And it was so, um, and I don't know really, you know, obviously it's probably some complex interaction between my genetic makeup and my environment that led me to that. But I was such a just maternal um, little person that stayed that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the things, because I had that really strong view of myself as being maternal, I guess there were times when, you know, I lost my temper or tem- I didn't feel as much as a natural as I should have that I've had to kind of, I don't know, recalibrate in my brain. But, um, yeah, it's a funny thing. It's a, where that came from in me. Yeah.
2: I, had a, I was a step parent before I, was, before I birthed, before I gave birth. And I have a similar moment when um, uh, my stepdaughter came up to me with a hairbrush, she had long hair, and asked me to do her hair. And that was kind of the moment... Oh, I feel... ah, I've got tingles. (laughs) Um, That was the moment that I knew I was a step-parent. I mean, I I looked... I wasn't quite sure what to do with this. (laughs) (laughs) It was, you know, it was not really my thing. But it was that moment where I realised that she had embraced me in a way, and I, I, I needed to respond. And I saw her from that moment, I think, in a very different way. Mm-hmm. But it, in, a, in a way, it's just, it's that same thing. It's mm. that moment of stepping into that role, mothering, nurturing, whatever yeah. we want to call it.
1: Yeah. yeah, I remember a clear moment of. I must have been making a doctor's appointment after I got home from hospital and I remember saying on the phone to the receptionist, um, I need to make an appointment for my daughter and I just like could hear myself saying these words and I was like... Like this surreal moment of like, oh my God, you're a mother, you have a daughter. Like <laughs> this is this just got really real. So um yeah, it's sort of that I think, you know, you have
0: these stepwise kind of yeah.
1: realizations of who you are and the role that you're in.
0: And as I hear you both talk, the the sort of phrase that's in my head is the needs of these young people, you know, and meeting their needs—whether it's doing their hair or making doctor's appointments—that is the work of parenting, isn't it? Meeting these little people's needs, who are so incredibly dependent. And we were talking um, with Kent um, in the break before about we don't want to be boxing in the the work of parenting. You know, when we talk about doing the dishes or ironing or cleaning the house, but. There are also all those things that need to get down in a house, all those needs that that need to be met, you know, whether it's food or clothes or washing. or And someone's got to meet those needs and that is often the parents. And so I guess it's about finding a balance, isn't it, between not boxing those roles in and assuming that they're going to be done or they're going to be done by a certain person, but also acknowledging the sheer volume of Work. needs that have to be met every single day. And Those laundry boxes
2: oh my god (laughs) we've come back to the concept of the village
0: yeah
2: yeah that how good would it be if there are lots of people to share these things this is share the tricky ones and the mundane ones and you know so that it wasn't such a load on on one
1: yeah or sometimes
2: two people
1: that's right and even this week i was dropping one of my daughter's friends home after dance And uh, this other family, a very good friend of mine, had my son and so we kind of divide and conquer. And um, this mother had just, you know, made a pot of soup and she's like, let me feed your kids too. There's no reason why, you know, Mm. both of us need to be cooking tonight. you know and there's that sort of mentality of like we can share this we can do this together it does not need to be you know parents in each little house doing everything by themselves like Mm. we can share
0: the load beautiful note to finish this segment on i think we're going to round out the show today with this concept of the first thousand days of life which you might have seen pop up on social media i've never got around to reading much more about it so miss medic over to you
1: Mm -hmm. so i over recent years there's been sort of increasing evidence about the importance of this first thousand days of our life and that's starting from conception Wrong. to about the second birthday of a child and how crucial that time is in determining the long-term health and well-being of an individual. So it's, this is like our crucial period. Most of the important stuff happens during this time. <sighs> Did which, everyone's heart rate just go up? <laughs> and, and like, and it's really interesting. I had the very same reaction when I heard this because um, I had that sudden feeling of like, oh, God, like, if have I stuffed up? Have I done enough in that time? And can I go back and change anything, given that my kids are, you know, they're older than that now? But um, it's interesting us as mothers having that sort of reaction to it, you know, looking for where we might have fallen short immediately. But um, it's not just... It doesn't just come down to the, the role of the parent. And I'll talk a bit more about what this involves. So essentially what we think is that the environment that a developing fetus and then small child is exposed to in various ways changes that individual in a even down to a genetic and neural so down to brain cell level to determine future health and crazy as crazy as it sounds even some of those environmental influences on one child can change the genetics of that child and some of those changes can be passed on to the next generation so this is epigenetics Mm -hmm. where we have genes being kind of switched on and modified by the environment in which uh, a child is exposed to so i think this is you know v- incredibly interesting so i looked at the review paper called the first thousand days an evidence paper i read the summary of it done by uh dr tim moore and his team out of the murdoch children's research institute here at mel in the children's hospital in melbourne and it's some fascinating stuff um and one of the things i wanted to talk about is you know some of the 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 key sort of messages that they talk about about what goes on in these first thousand days um and I think what's really interesting is that it's this notion that the genes are sort of like listening to their environment and this is epigenetics essentially and um, and it's that the body or the, the developing baby is put under certain stress during that time or lack of stress can change that child's adaptability. So one of the interesting things I talk about, so you can imagine that a child that where the mother's unwell or the mother's very anxious or there's, um, you know, huge social stress in the environment, that child might be more prone to some more maladaptive conditions, some mental health problems and even some of the non-communicable diseases such as, you know, heart disease, diabetes, diabetes, uh, those sorts of things,
0: wow.
1: and all modified by that exposure during that time. And what they've also talk, what they also talk about is that the lack of certain stress. So some stress is important for the developing child to become adaptable. So the lack of certain stress also has an impact on health. So, you know, the fact that we no longer have, you know, extreme exposure to hot and cold, to feast and famine, lead to the child to not be adaptable to those conditions and in the future can develop things, you know, like obesity is the big one. So that lack of stress is also Such becomes a balance, maladaptive, isn't it? Yeah. yes, um so it's incredibly interesting research and it it's um I think that it's really important if we think about the reason why I wanted to talk about it today is how important it is for us to think about how. Our society is set up in terms of supporting and educating women going into a pregnancy, uh, looking after women as they, and families as they embark on early parenting, how we treat the developing child, just because this is what's having an impact on future health and future health of our society yeah fascinating fascinating stuff and I think we should all have a, a good look at it um,
0: I love that you've broadened it out because I think it's it's such a gut reaction, that sort of parent reaction of, oh, either I'm still in that phase or or that phase is gone. And yeah, have we done enough? So much pressure. But actually, the things that decrease stress for parents and families and um, allow us to do a good enough job are so far beyond our individual households, aren't they? They're about how society is set up and how our community views parenthood and families and supports us in this role. Exactly.
1: And I think what's important as well is that kind of they talk about it in in this article that um, it's not one thing; it's not one thing that happens to the child that will then determine, you know, their health and well-being. Um, and sometimes you can. They talk about this triple-hit hypothesis that it's a environmental stress to a, a genetically vulnerable being um, at a particularly critical time in their de- life and development that can lead to a bad outcome. So or, a, you know, an, a non-ideal outcome or disease state. So th- with that, you've got multiple sort of areas that you can intervene. So you might have a genetically vulnerable child, but with the right environment and taking into account their developmental needs at the time, then you're not going to have that maladaptive outcome.
0: Is there a sense that it has to be sort of repeated as well? You know, like you said, it's not something that happens on on one morning once in the first thousand days of life. It's about the consistency and and sort of what happens most of the time. Exactly. It is about that. So,
1: like, it's about sort of repeated exposures, what the child is sort of, so you can think of things like, you know, smoking in pregnancy sort of throughout or heavy alcohol for the mum in pregnancy, but then after they're born, so being in, exposed to domestic violence or poverty, those sorts of things, they're kind of very, you know, that it's, not, it's not one instance. Mm. It's about the, a more broader picture of how, what sort of environment the child is constantly exposed to that can change their genetics, change their trajectory, change their adaptability.
0: Makes me think we've got a long way to go as a society, but at least we're talking about the right stuff now.
1: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, this is not something that's quick fix. This is about looking at things in a more sort of global sense, trying to decrease the, uh, like, uh, you know, immediately you and I, our brains are going to our, you know, what one moment in time that we didn't get <laughs> something right And that's, you know, very sort of... (laughs) Unhelpful. Very unhelpful and it's not at all what we need to be looking about. We need to be sort of thinking, you know, our children are privileged. We need to be thinking about... um, making a more of an equal standing for all children because obviously you can see in Australia it's our Indigenous population that really you know are at risk with this sort of stuff so it's about sort of giving all children that kind of equal good start for those crucial first thousand days of life in order to reverse some of these um, health patterns that we're seeing in society now.
0: What a beautiful note to end on this Mother's Day. Indeed. Rainbow Doc, Miss Medic, Kent, thank you so much. This has been Radiotherapy on 3 R, and I just want to finish by thanking and congratulating everyone in this community who um, gets on board in terms of families and parents and um, does some of the work. You're doing an amazing job and we thank you. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent